If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Genesis, as tonight we are continuing this series entitled The Gospel According to Moses. And um, Renee was mentioning right before service when she saw that, what an unusual title that is. And that's because uh, th those are two words that we don't often put together, gospel and Moses. We, we think of the gospel, we think of the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, uh, but I am per persuaded, completely persuaded, that every word of the gospel, every concept of the gospel, every, every uh, uh, foundational ele element of the gospel is included in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Levit Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which were penned by Moses, and then hence we get the title, The Gospel According to Moses. And I believe that in these five books, we can see everything that God wants to, to state in the New Testament. Um, however, as we read it, we often sort of read over it or read around it or we don't see it the same way. Uh, last week we talked about the flashcard principle and I think that's a really helpful thing when you're reading the Old Testament. You think about the fact that it's like a flashcard that's held up and you see the event, but on the flip side, when you see it, you see that it also applies to another event. And so... Uh, that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to look into these things and because, because all of the Bible points to Jesus. It all points to Him. So tonight, uh, Genesis chapter 6, if you, if you want to open up your Bible to there, we're going to read a fairly significant portion. We're going to be looking at Noah tonight. And uh, I don't know how many of you saw before service as the sun was going down, the beautiful rainbow that was out there. And and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, here we are, we're teaching on Noah, and there's the rainbow. Of course, I am not talking about the rainbow tonight, so I wish I was. I wish I, that's what I was teaching about, because then I'd be like, God has spoken. But anyway, anyway, Genesis chapter 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Which, by the way, I read this passage, and I keep thinking about in the Bible where it says, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So when you read this, think about what our culture is like. Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will, excuse me. <coughs> I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds from of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark, or, or a ship, or a boat, or a vessel would be a good way to translate that word. Make yourself a vessel of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. Now we're going to skip over the next portion because that's talking about the dimensions of the ark, which it's listed in uh, the following verses with types of measurements that we don't use in America today. And so rather than read that, let me just say this. Loosely translated, the dimensions that are given here in the next few verses tell us that from one end of the boat to the other and from one side of the boat to the other, it would be something along the order of the dimensions of a football field. Therefore, you think about the ship that was built above that, it would be something similar to a small to medium-sized football stadium. So let's just say that's a fairly good-sized undertaking for a man to build anyway. Let's go to verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. He, taught, he built the ark. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, <clears throat> you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Now go down to verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the seventh, second month, of the, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon earth 40 days and 40 nights. 
On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him, shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed uh, above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. This is a very sober passage of scripture. And it's difficult for the modern mind to even begin to wrap our minds around it. But I believe that that, that God has a word for us tonight in this passage. And you know, many of us here, especially if you've grown up in church, you, you, you have probably heard of Noah and Noah's Ark. Um, many of us only in a casual and a flippant sort of way, you know, vacation Bible stories or, or maybe the, the coloring pictures on the back of the Sunday school flyer that you would get when you were a child. And, and, and it sort of has a, a mythological aura around it to us. However, the truth is many of us have never heard a meaningful sermon on the real depth and content and message of the story of Noah. I mean, I mean it's, a, it is, it's an exciting story. It's all great and it's good to know uh, about it. However, we have, uh, many of us may have mostly seen little cutesy pictures and artist renderings without ever knowing what it really means. So, so what did it really mean? Th this story, I believe, of, of all the stories in the Pentateuch, uh, of all those things that the Holy Spirit allowed Moses with his great uh, spirit and mind and heart to, to grasp and to record for us, this story of Noah is the, the most perfectly and clearly applicable to New Testament truth uh, 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 of perhaps any story in the, in the Pentateuch with the possible exception of the Passover itself. In fact, we do know that it has New Testament application. We know that it was a prefigurement or a, a type, a picture of salvation because 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 makes reference to this very passage of Scripture that we just read. And there are many, many things we can learn from this, but the, but the obvious center of the story is the man himself. Who was this man Noah? What was he like? You know, as I began preparing for this, this uh, lesson and began thinking about what kind of man Noah was, it, be, it began to dawn on me, and I think I knew it before, but the more I got into it, the more I realized that, uh, that Noah is a monumental hero of faith. A monumental hero. When it says, for example, and God spoke unto Noah, what, what does that mean? I mean, what really happened? Was it sort of the Hollywood version of the story? Did the voice of Charlton Heston come booming out of the clouds to him? Uh, Noah, build an ark. You know, I, or maybe, I don't know. May, maybe it was like that. However, as I read through the Bible and I hear the testimony of the saints, I find that those kinds of conversations with God are much less common than the conversation with that still small voice. And, and, and not only that, those big moments require less faith, don't they? Noah may have heard a great, audible, extra-personal voice, but let's just assume, just for the sake of argument, nobody knows, so my guess is as good as it, or as bad as anybody else's, but let's assume that he didn't have that kind of big experience. Let's assume that he heard from God the way you do. You know, I'm always cautious when I 
say to people, the Lord said to me, or, you know, I, I hear people drop that line all the time, you know, God said to me, or the Spirit is leading me, and I'm always just uh, trying to be, I try to be very careful about using those things, because I want to know for sure that God spoke before I say that, because I don't want to stand before Him and say, you remember when you said I said that? Uh, yeah, I didn't say that. You know, I don't want, I don't want to be that that in that situation, but but you know, right here in this room, we, we could find many, many accounts of those places where we felt the Holy Spirit was leading and guiding us. Someone might tell how they picked up a telephone and called a certain person and they said, you know, I just had a feeling, I had a hunch, I had something in me, I was I just felt the urge to to that I was supposed to call you and and maybe they were maybe it was the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Maybe Maybe, uh, but even even in that, there wasn't this booming voice out of the sky saying, call your brother-in-law, you know, nothing like that. You, you get this inner nudge, right? This voice of the Spirit within. Now, that's one thing when it comes to something like give this person a call. It's one thing to hear and obey at that level, isn't it? But it is another thing entirely when over a period of months or years, I mean, I, I don't know how long it took Noah to actually come face to face with this monumental thought, but it's one thing to hear, call your brother-in-law in your spirit, but it's another thing altogether to hear, I'm going to obliterate the earth with water. And, and I'm going to save you and your wife and your three sons and their wives. And I'm going to ask you to build a boat the size of a football stadium. And I'm going to bring into it all the animals and creeping things and birds of the whole earth. And I'm going to save them in this ship with you. I mean, what kind of guy can hear that? If I heard that from God, I, 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 if I could even come to the place where I heard that, I... I might, in response, just check myself into some mental health facility and say, just forget the jacket, throw me in a cell right now. You know, but, but can you imagine the kind of faith it took to wrestle through to the point where you can actually hear that from God and not only hear that, but to believe it and not only to believe it, but to act on it. What a man. These, many of these great heroes of the faith we read, what spiritual giants they were when you, when you begin to process what they went through, what they did. Now, the second thing we see about Noah, and it's an odd thing. I've never heard anybody point it out before, and I'm going to spend a lot of time on it. But as I began to think of, at, uh, sto about the story and kind of sort of go behind it a little bit, I, I began to realize that Noah must have been a phenomenally successful businessman. He, he must have been majestically wealthy I know this because, A, nobody is going to finance this project. Nobody's going to loan you money for this project, right? I mean, I, I want to see the, the loan application for that. You know, yes, God's going to flood the earth, and I'm going to build a ship and put all the animals and birds inside, and I'm going to float it. You know, that loan officer would say, uh, right, why don't you go down to the savings loan, see if they can help you. Uh, and, B, we see that Noah was a man who was willing to put his finances on the line for his faith. He, he believed this, not just some offhand and detached sort of way, but he acted on this at tremendous personal cost. He, he probably bankrupted himself totally, completely. If, it, 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 of course, on the flip side, if, however, you believe that the bank is going to be flooded and the bankers are all going to die, you're probably not trying to hold anything back at that point either because the entire monetary system is going to be swept away. So why save anything, right? But, but Noah believed that the impending judgment of God was so real and, and of such preeminent significance in his life that nothing he owned compared to that inner reality. It began to pound in his brain and drum in his heart. God is going to destroy the entire world. God is going to flood the entire planet. He has spoken to me out of all of humanity, out of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl on the entire earth. God has spoken to me. God has given me this vision. He's given me the exact dimensions for building this massive ship. God is calling me to the spiritual and economic adventure of my life. And like Paul the Apostle, he was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Again, I just say, 
What a man. What a man of faith. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't know how many hands he had to employ to build a ship like this. I mean, suppose it was just the four of them, Noah and his three sons. And we don't, we don't know that. We don't know. What, because, you know, when it says that Noah built it, it, it means that he was behind building it. You know, like somebody could say that a former pastor built this church. Well, that doesn't mean that he did it single-handedly, right? But he was the force, the driving force behind it. So, so Noah built that ark. However, we don't know, but what he employed hundreds and hundreds of employees uh, to, to work on it. But if he did, their salaries had to be paid and the materials had to be uh, purchased. Things had to be imported for this. Think about the sons of Noah. Remember this. Noah alone had seen the vision. Noah alone had heard from God. The sons of Noah had not. Noah's wife had not. Noah's daughters-in-law had not. None of the employees that if he hired any of them had heard from God. Noah alone had heard from God. And so imagine working on this project year after year after year after year. Because a ship like this is not built overnight. You understand? I mean, they didn't have power tools. I've always been amazed at previous generations and what they could accomplish. And I, I look around at most of us and I think we'd be dead in about three days. <laughs> you know, but they're building this thing by hand in a primitive, antiquated culture. So imagine this year after year after year, this thing begins to rise up this ship, this massive boat right there in the middle of dry land. There's, there's not an ocean for hundreds of miles and it begins to rise up and Noah becomes over the years this sort of crackpot of a generation, a tourist attraction. Noah's Ark out there in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I can just see, and I'm just going to have a little fun with this, I can just see the busloads of tourists showing up with cameras hanging around their, their necks. And there, there's somebody else out there. They're, I guarantee somebody's selling tickets somewhere, right? And, and you, you can just hear the, the tour guides and the tour buses this next attraction is Noah's Ark. Please stay in the boat, in the bus. We're afraid of this man. He is crazy. And there are people leaning out the windows of the bus hoping to catch a glimpse of this crazy man, Noah. There's the boat. There it is. There, where's Noah? And then you can see Noah covered in sweat and dirt from the work and with sawdust all clinging in his beard and looks like a wild man on the scaffolding on the side of this ship. And the tour bus stops and they all open their windows and start to take pictures. And Noah standing there on the scaffolding with a hammer in his hand. He says, what's the matter with you? Are you crazy? Are, are you crazy? Don't snap pictures. Get, get down off that bus and come into this ship. You can almost, almost hear them laughing at him, can't you? Close, you know, laughing at him. And then when he pre starts preaching to them, they close the windows, titillated with fear. Oh, he's crazy. He's crazy. Let's stay away from him. And then tour bus driver collecting the money and driving on. But can you imagine Noah's sons? I mean, don't, don't over-spiritualize these stories. We're talking about real people here, just plain, ordinary, flesh and blood folk, you know. Can, can you imagine Shem, Ham, and Japheth coming to Noah and, and saying, Daddy, this is just not funny anymore. Dad, we, we just don't have any friends left. The, the business is going down the tubes. We haven't sold any olive oil in years. We've lost all of our employees. Look, Dad, you, you've decimated a massive family fortune. And, and what do we have to show for it? We got this boat. Dad, we can't even sell this thing. Daddy, please, let's stop before it's too late. Then imagine Noah turning with them with the fire of God in his eyes saying, I can't stop. I'm building this for you. I'm building this for us. Don't you understand? This is the means of our salvation. This is our only hope of deliverance. Can't you believe me? God has told me that there's judgment coming, this horrifying event. The whole earth is going to be obliterated. Every man, every woman, every institution from the tiniest living creature to the greatest. The mountains themselves will be covered. This is the means of our deliverance. Please don't ask me to stop. Ask me to build faster. Ask me to be more dedicated. Ask me to be more committed. But don't ask me to stop. I'm building this for us. If I stop building, we're doomed. 
Your only hope is that I'll continue to build. What a man of faith. Husbands, dads, heads of households, I plead with you earnestly and tenderly, ask God to give you that spiritual faith and commitment. And when your children look at you and say, oh, dad, you, you embarrass me when you raise your hands in the middle of church service. Ah, oh, dad, do we have to go to church every time the doors are open? Oh, dad, can't we just pull back a little bit? We don't have to be nuts for Jesus, do we? When they say that, you look them right in the eye and say to them, don't you understand? I'm building the ark of our deliverance. I can't stop. I can't stop. I have to keep going. Oh, dad, do we have to tithe the family fortune? Do we have to make all these contributions to this church. That's my inheritance that you're giving away. You look them right in the eye and say, no, as the Lord liveth, that's your, your heritage that I'm building. That's your posterity I'm creating. Every dime I give is for you. Every gift that I give is for you. Every prayer that I pray is for you. I can't stop. I won't stop. Then imagine the people of the community as they laughed at Noah mocked and howled in derision. I mean, you think we go through a little mockery and scorn and derision as Christians here in pagan America? Well, maybe a little bit, but I'm telling you it's nothing. It's child's play. Imagine year after year after year after year as the family fortune shrinks and this monstrosity in the desert grows. For, for, for people in the surrounding area, it must have been the biggest news story of their lifetime. Imagine the people laughing at him. You're crazy. Can you imagine them standing at the bottom of the scaffolding as they sort of just jut out their lip and say, hey, you crazy old kook, you nutcase, you're building this massive ship in the middle of nowhere, there's no ocean nearby, and you're trying to tell us that God's going to obliterate the earth? And still... Noah kept on with his faith. Still, he kept on building. Still, he kept on saying, I have heard from God. I have heard from God. I heard a missionary tell a meeting a man in northern Ghana near the city of Bogotanga, near the border of Burkina Faso. The man, when the missionary met him, was an old man. He was, he was a sub-chief. Uh, and the word for that in their language is Naba. And he was from the town of Dusi. And so he was called the Dusi Naba, the, or the chief or king of Dusi. And he had been brought up as a child in a sort of para-Mohammedan witchcraft culture and tradition. Many, many times uh, uh, cultures will integrate a new religion that they hear about with their old. And that's what had happened there. And so... When he was a little boy of six years of age, a Presbyterian missionary had come to his village preaching the gospel. And his father, who was the Naba of the village at the time, had the man uh, beaten mercilessly and thrown out of the village. And the missionary returned again and they beat him within an inch of his life and put him in the hospital. And he returned yet again a third time. And this man's father beat him and threw him out of the village. And then finally the missionary never returned. However, the word that he preached... Jesus kept echoing through this man's mind. Well, 60 years later, that old chief visited a gospel crusade in Bogotanga and he heard the name of Jesus and he, it rung a bell in his, in his memory and it ministered to his heart and he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He threw off Islam, he renounced Muhammad, he burned his Koran and he put, put all the mullahs out of his village and he called all of his witchcraft priests together and told them that they could either renounce their practice and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or be dismissed from his employ. And the other sub-chiefs of the region, the other Nabas, they came against him and he was made a mockery of scorn and derision. He was told that he would bring a curse upon Ducey and upon the whole region of the north. And, and, and when this missionary met him after all these years, he, he, by now he was this dignified old lion, strikingly handsome, a tall, stately old gentleman wrapped in a leopard skin with a tall staff in his hand and Big, huge black sandals on his feet. And over the years, he had endured threats against his life, 
threats of being put under a witchcraft curse that would kill him and kill all his children, and kill his grandchildren, threats from other villages, threats from other sub-chiefs, and even threats from the, the chief of the entire region that he might impose uh, his will upon him and make him go back to the old ways and accept the witchcraft. Well, that missionary came and he sat down on the steps below his feet and he said, he said with, with all the pressure you're under, how do you manage to hold fast? How do you manage to hold on? And that great old man stared into the missionary's eyes and they were, they were coals of fire. And he said, I have heard God. I have heard God. Oh, to be like Noah. In the midst of, of it all. All of the pressure, all of the mockery, all of the scorn, all of the derision. Every, every time you're, you're tempted to just not put your Bible on your desk at work. Every time you're tempted to compromise. Every time you're tempted to keep your mouth shut when you know you should say something. Or vice versa, every time you're tempted to say something when you know you should keep your mouth shut. Every time you're tempted not to testify about God's grace. Every time you're tempted to just cut a corner. Then let the fire of God come up in your heart and glow in your eyes and say to the world and the flesh and the devil and even to the church at times, to your own family and to anyone that would attempt to put, pull down your testimony even just a wee bit, look them in the eyes and say, I have heard God on this. I have heard God. What a ferocious faith. I imagine, and if you'll permit me, I want to use a little bit of sanctified imagination, but I imagine this man Noah being approached by a friend of his. I want to zero in on that friend for a moment. Let's just Call him Johab. This is not a, not a real name. It's just for, for us to be able to put this, some, some flesh on this, to be able to understand this. And Johab comes to Noah with a friendly posture. Noah, let, let's sit down. Let's have a cup of coffee. Let, let's talk just a little bit. Noah, I, I love you. We're, we're old friends. I'm not your enemy. You have plenty of enemies, but I'm not one of them. You know as well as I do the people around here think that you're a nutcase. They think you're, you're class A certifiable, but I don't. I like you. In fact, Noah, I want you to understand that I feel that there may be some element of truth in what you're saying. Noah's eyes brightened. He, he, he reaches across the table and takes his friend Joab's hand. You do? You, you believe? You have faith? Oh, listen, this ark is plenty big. I'm not just building this for my sons. I'm, this is for anybody, everybody that'll come in. Come on, Joab, get your wife, get your kids. Come on, move in. Let, go into the ark with me. Joab says, oh, 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 Noah. Oh, Noah, I, I'm, not, I'm not coming in. I'm not going to actually take a hammer and climb up on that crazy thing and build, but I believe there is some basic idea of truth in it. I believe in the basic idea of the anger of God. I understand that God might be angry at us, a world full of corruption and evil and violence and bribery and extortion and rape and sexual immorality and perversion, the whole world being corrupted. I, I, I can see that in a theoretical sense that if there were a divine being, he would be angry. And I can see that God might also provide some means of escape for those who are pleasing to him. I understand the idea. I understand what you're trying to say. But, but Noah, you act like it's specific. You, you act like it's real. You act like it's, like it's a real God and a real ship and a real flood. I, I understand that theoretically, but you act like this is some historical event. Noah grows desperate as he sees his friend slipping away. He says, Joab, don't you understand? This is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is not just some idea. This is not a concept. I'm not theolog uh, 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 theologizing, theologizing, I'm not discussing theology with you. Theologizing, that's what I was trying to say. I'm not philosophizing with you. God is going to destroy the earth. A flood is going to come that will sweep away everything you've ever known and it will kill all of life you've, that we've ever known and, and, and this ship and only that which is inside of it will be preserved. Joab, this is a historical reality. And Joab says, well, I, I, I just came to say to you, Noah, that I love you and I appreciate you and, and in concept, I, I'm on your side. 
In fact, in fact, I'm going to write a check to help you with this. Let, let me just write you a check right now. This, is, this has got to be an expensive undertaking, undertaking. Just let me help you. And I see Joab writing and pushing his pathetic check across the table. Well, maybe this will help you build your ship, Noah. Maybe this will help make a statement. But I, but I can't get involved myself in this kind of thing. I, I'm a respectable businessman. I could lose everything. There are huge contracts, Noah, that I could lose if I became associated with a thing like this, and then Joab left. Noah sat at the table with his wife. His sons and his daughters-in-law were all asleep in their beds, alone by the flickering light. Tears streamed down his leathered old face. And he says, oh God, have I heard from you? Oh God, is this real? Oh God, the, the ark is finished. We've, we've done everything you've told us to do. God, am I then the, the most foolish of all men? And suddenly, those words come. Take your family and go into the ark. And God closed the door of the ark behind Noah. It says in the translation I read, and the Lord shut him in. This is crucially important. First Peter 3 tells us that God not only used Noah as a builder of the edifice of safety, but while Noah was building it, God used Noah as an evangelist, crying out, preaching to those souls that were in bondage in his generation, come into the ark of safety. Noah had hope in his generation that all might be saved. But the final moment came when God said, that's it. When God drew the line through human history, he said, that's enough. That's the end. Now the day of judgment. Now my wrath that has been piled up century upon century upon century upon century will be unleashed in a deluge, a horrible nightmare of ferocious judgment. Oh God, the, the, the very thought of it is terrifying. I don't like mentioning this. I, I don't like teaching this. People don't like to hear it and I don't like to preach it. I, I would much rather preach to you, God loves you, everything's okay, you're okay, God's okay. It doesn't really matter how you live. Just live any old way you want to. Love God and try to be good to people and be nice to your wife and everything will be okay. Listen, you can fill up churches with that. You, you People go on television with that. And with that kind of nonsense, and they, make, they can make millions of dollars doing it. But the problem is, people will die. People will die. I have to answer for what I preach. I'm responsible for every sermon, for every Bible lesson. And if I believe that the deluge of God's judgment is coming, and I keep silent, then I have betrayed you. You say, I, I don't want to hear a sermon about the flood. I don't want to be hear, hear a sermon about impending judgment. Don't tell me about the wrath of God. That's, that's old-timey stuff. That's horrible, scary preaching. Don't tell me any of that. Well, that's all well and good, unless it's real. And, unless it's really coming. You see, you're standing by the roadside on a lonely, windswept highway with the rain pouring down and you see that there's, there's a bridge that has been swept away by the river and now there's a hundred foot drop into a chasm below. Then way up the highway, you can see the headlights coming through the rain and you say, oh my God, somebody is going to drive into that. So you run into the middle of the highway and stand there waving your arms and finally you bring the car to a stop and you say, stop, stop, the bridge is out, the bridge is out. The driver rolls down his window and he says, get out of the way. Don't interfere with my life. Don't tell me how to live. Don't try to influence my decisions. What's the matter with you? Are you some kind of nut? Get out of my way. You say, wait, wait, wait a minute, mister. I'm not trying to run your life. I'm not judging you in any way. I'm just warning you that the bridge is out. If you go this way, you're going to drive off that bridge into a chasm. He says, get out of my way. 
My mother told me that bridge was out. My father told me that bridge was out. The cop up the road told me the bridge was out. I didn't believe them and I don't believe you. The bridge hasn't been out in years and it's not out now. Get out of the way. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I have this tendency at a moment to want to cross my arms and say, hey, go. <laughs> then you look into the car and there beside him on the front seat is his wife, pregnant. In the back seat, there are two little children. And the little boy leans up over the front seat and he says, Daddy, is the bridge really out? He says, shut up, don't be stupid. The bridge is not out. How, how many bridges have we crossed in the last 100 miles? None of them were out. This one's not out either. And he looks at you and he says, get out of the way. And you say, man, at, at least let the kids out of the car. At least let the kids out of the car. You see, that scenario, that's the plaguing, horrible burden of evangelism in times like these in which we live. You say, I know that there's a day of wrath coming. I know that there's a bridge, that there's a judgment coming. The bridge is out. And you see some Guy going through sin, one marriage after another, one divorce after another, one adulterous relationship after another, just destroying his life. The problem is that he's also destroying the lives of everybody that he touches. And you can see that, that this way leads to destruction. And you just, you just want to grab him and shake him and say, what's the matter with you? Are, you? are you nuts? The bridge is out. You're going to die and you're going to take all these people with you. It's what Noah must have felt. So what Noah must have felt as Joab went back to his house and then God closed the door behind him. I'm here to tell you as long as God leaves the door open, I'm going to do everything I know to do to bring as many people into this ship that, as I know how. I'm going to preach every sermon I know how to preach. I'm going to expend all the energy that I have. I'm going to do everything I know to do to bring as many people as I possibly can into the ship. But I know in my heart of hearts that sooner or later the day is going to come when Jesus is going to step across the threshold of eternity and the last trumpet is going to sound, sound and the sky will unfold and the earth will melt like with a fervent heat and, and, and the judgment day of Christ will arrive. And in that day, there will be no bargaining. Nobody's going to cop a plea. It's just going to be awful. It terrifies me. It absolutely terrifies me. I don't want anybody on that day to look me in the eye and say, you never warned me, preacher. You told me everything was okay. You told me that if, if I'd come to church once a month and write a tithe check that everything would be okay. You never told me that I actually had to get on the ark of safety. You never warned me about the judgment day of God. I don't want that on my account. That's what Noah felt. God closed the door behind him. Let's go back to our scenario. Joab went into his house. And oh, that night horror of it so we've turned this into a child's story and made it cute but it's a horror story we have this idea that because of the way that hollywood has dealt with it and all the little stories from vacation bible school and all the the cute little decorations we use in nurseries and that sort of thing we have this idea that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and, and that's what flooded the entire earth. Listen, it could rain for 40 days and 40 nights right now and it's not going to flood the whole earth. Y you know that, right? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen and that's not what happened here. Read your Bible. That's not what it says in the Bible. It says, first of all, it says that all the fountains of the great deep, the great subterranean reservoirs and the bowels of the earth, burst forth. It says, in fact, what it tells me, the earth was flooded from beneath as le at least as much as it was flooded from above. It says, furthermore, that the windows of heaven were open. And now, now there's, this is open to a great deal of debate, but there is a very real possibility that, that, that the, the antediluvian climate, the climate before the flood, what was a climate-controlled condition, something like a terrarium, that there was a firmament in place around the, the earth, a crystallized atmosphere control, which kept above it fluid, a fluid atmosphere, and that it broke and poured in as the earth broke open the, and poured out on the face of the earth. The, the emptying of 
those oceans in the bowels of the earth and the oceans above for 40 days and 40 nights. That's, that's really, it's just a horrifying thing. It's nothing to joke about. I really don't like jokes about Noah's Ark because it's something about when we joke about some of these things that sort of numbs our sensitivity to the horror of God's judgment. But imagine Joab heard the crack. He saw the flash of lightning, different from any lightning he'd ever seen. He, he heard the peal of thunder that seemed to penetrate the sky from pole to pole and he sat bolt upright in his bed. What was that? And suddenly there was an eruption, an earthquake. The house shook. The entire city seemed to shake. A roar. He, he looked up the street and a wall of water, a tsunami of water, a hundred miles high, was barreling across the town. Wife, wake up, wake up, wake up. Get the baby, take my hand. And the wife in her nightgown holding the baby in her arms, they plunge into the street. He dashes back into his house. There's his 10-year-old boy asleep on his bed. Wake up, wake up, come with me quickly, run. And they dash into the streets and they're hit by this wall of water, swept away, plunged beneath the deluge, thrown against the wall of one building and then another down through the streets and people are screaming and houses are being demolished and whole buildings are being swept away. It's a horrible nightmare in the middle of the night. People screaming. Wife, 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 where are you? Here, Joab, here. She surfaces near him as they grab hands. She's clutching the baby. The rain is pelting. The people are screaming. It's a nightmare. He says, swim, swim to the end of town. I know where to go. We have to get to Noah's Ark. We have to get to the boat. Noah told me this was coming. Come on, let's swim. As they swim, the weight of their clothes saturated with water, pulling them down, fatigue straining every muscle as they gasp for breath. The fear of the nightmare and the blackness of the night upon them, they can hardly see. Keep swimming, wife, keep swimming. Suddenly there's a flash of lightning and they see outlined the silhouette of this massive structure up ahead of them. There it is. And they can see it. The weight of the water hurls them up against the wooden side of the boat and, and, and Joab pounds with his hands. Noah, 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 open the, open the door. Noah, it's Joab, open the door. And Noah and his family huddled inside. I want to say this, I believe that God kept them from hearing any of that. I've heard people, other people say that Noah heard these people screaming, but I, I don't believe that. I believe that God had let him hear the screaming by faith for all those years that he was preaching and building the ark. But I believe that when God closed the door, he sealed them in a perfect ark of, ark of safety and love and peace. And, and when the church, the true church, the bride of Christ rises to meet Jesus. I don't believe that God's going to allow us to be tortured in our souls by those loved ones that are left behind. I believe that God will somehow shield us from that. I believe it would be a moment of, of undiluted, unalloyed joy. But Joab and his family floating, fingernails broken off from scraping the sides of the ark. I, imagine the recrimination in, in the wife's eyes. Joab, I asked you, I said to you, maybe Noah's right. I, I pled with you and you said, I, I know best. And I followed your leadership. Now look, my babies are drowning. Oh, husband, father, dad, grandpa, head of household, I implore you in the name of Jesus, lead them to safety now. Lead them to safety now. Don't, don't teach your son to steal second base and not teach him how to pray. Don't teach your son how to shoot a deer and not teach him how to follow Jesus with integrity. Don't teach your son how to be a successful businessman and not teach him how to be successful in eternity. Don't, don't lead him into prosperity in this earth and then lead him into hell. God forbid, lead them to safety now. Now while the ark is still open, now while the door is still open, now while the arms of grace are still open, lead them to safety now. But Joab's wife grows weary. She says, I can't tread water anymore. And she pushes the baby toward her husband and sinks beneath the waves. And Joab screams against the night sky, Oh God, not my wife! Little boy looks him in the eye. Daddy, Daddy, 
you lied to us. And he sinks. Oh, God, I can't even imagine. Joab reaches beneath the waves, trying to hold the baby with one hand and trying to find his older son with the other. And he, he feels his son's wet hair and grabs and clutches, but the, the boy's weight is too much. It's too late. And Joab kicks against the waves and treads water. The baby grows lifeless and finally slips out of his arms and beneath the waves, his family destroyed. Joab, without hope, filled with despair, raises his fist to God and blames heaven. And with a curse on his lips, he slips beneath the waves of judgment and he's gone. What a horrible, horrible, senseless, useless tragedy. A stupid, pathetic, tragic waste. It doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to end like that for one person, for anybody, anywhere in the world. Uh, it's like I look at our beloved Sam here, wasting away in the chains of addiction and despair, but born again because he, he has somehow or another heard the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, come into the ark, come into the ark. And he came in. I'm going to teach you something you may have never heard before, but if you look at chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Now that's the first time in the Bible that the verb that's translated go there is used. It's the first time in the entire Bible it's ever used. And that's translated in some translations like King James Instead of go, it says come into the ark. It talks about movement. It's an invitation. That's the first time that it's used. You know where the last time it's used was? The last time it was used is in the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation twenty-two seventeen. Revelation twenty-two seventeen says, the spirit and the bride say come. It's the same word. Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. The eternal, unending, everlasting invitation of, of grace. Come on in. God says, come on in. I, I'm delaying my judgment. I'm restraining the wall of, of the wrath that must come because God has to judge sin. God has to be vindicated in his righteousness. There's going to come another deluge. Only this time it's not water, but fervent heat. The earth will melt. The sky will melt with heat. It will burst into flames and, and a new heaven and new earth will, will be created. But all of this will be destroyed, everything. However, God is holding all of that back, delaying. Delaying. That's what it says in 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should teach repentance, or should reach repentance. When he says he's not slow to fulfill his promise, he's specifically talking about the promise to return, to end all of this. He's delaying the day of judgment so that more and more and more and more people might enter into the ark of safety. God doesn't want to close the door until everybody is in and safe and secure. What we see here is God was revealing everything about the New Testament in the story of Noah's ark. There is a judgment coming. God will vindicate his righteousness. However, God is also prepared preparing us an ark of safety wherein we might be saved. Jesus, standing by the portals, offers the same invitation that was offered in the 7th chapter of Genesis and in the 22nd chapter of Revelation. Booming into the corners of the universe, he says, come, come, take your wife and children by the hand and lead them to safety. Come. It's the great invitation of God. God is saying, whosoever will may come. It's the great open-handed, open-hearted invitation of God. God has built an ark, not fashioned by the, by the hands of Noah, and bigger than every football field added together in the whole world, bigger than the world, bigger than eternity, fashioned and built by the very hand of God, the cross. The ark of safety cross of God. 
And Jesus sang from the cross, his arms outstretched, come, it's finished. The ark is complete. Salvation's available. Come on in. Come on in. Lead them to safety. Lead them to safety now. Not just children in your family, but everybody you can. Lead them to safety. See, in that day, we will not only be accountable for our own lives and our own sins, but we will also be accountable for the impact that we've had on the lives of others around us. And if you compromise, if you make light of the gospel, you joke about the judgment of God, you let your wife go to church and pray for your salvation, you let your wife get up in the Sunday morning and take the kids to Sunday school while you lie in bed asleep, when the door of the ark closes and you and your family slip beneath the waves of judgment, don't shake your fist in the, in the face of God. Lead them to safety now. Take your wife by the hand. Take your children. Grab all the friends you can and say, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going in now while there's still time. In the name of Jesus, as an ambassador of Christ, I implore you as if he himself were standing here. Come. The door is still open. It will not always be open. There will be a day when it closes. The heavens and the earth will melt with a fervent heat. Men will cry to the mountains, fall on us, but they, they'll not be hidden. The judgment of God will be a consuming nightmare when it comes. But we know the grace of God is greater yet. Come, he says. Come. Pray together with me. Father, Lord, this is such a somber, heavy message and Lord, you know that it's not the kind of lesson that I like or that I enjoy, but God, we must be reminded that this is not a game. We must be reminded, first of all, that we need to get in the ark of safety, but also, God, as those who are followers of Christ, we need to be reminded of our responsibility that we know that there's a judgment coming Therefore, we have a responsibility to those around us. And we can't control how they'll respond. Maybe, maybe they'll laugh and mock the way so many people did during the days of Noah. But maybe, just maybe, they'll hear the voice of God in that invitation and they'll come into the ark of safety and they'll find Christ. They'll find salvation. So God, we just pray that you would use us. And Lord, I pray that you would, you would just open doors. There are people who are ready to receive. But God, help us not to shrink back in fear, but to be as bold as a lion and to tell everybody that the door is open. Come in now while you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.